Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Now loading your next quantum leap. Strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast. Nerds, the worlds of gaming, horror, TV, and film have collided right here. This will be your finest hour. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down episode three of Loki, and we're talking all the latest news and rumors in Nerd. Plus, we've got our AEW Week in Review. But all right, with that said, let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors in Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. All right, up first, we've got a disappointing update for Deadpool 3. After last week's news of SAG and the AMPTP not coming to terms, it finally looks like Deadpool 3 will be delayed. Uh, Deadline sources claim Disney has quietly removed Deadpool from its May 3rd release for next year. CBR.com also had some interesting speculation, as with Deadpool 3 still needing to finish filming, there could be another change up in the schedule, as Cap 4 is actually done with its shooting, so perhaps it will actually be moved back up in its order as originally Deadpool took its May 3rd release but again that's all just mere speculation but an interesting idea huh yeah I totally forgot that they uh, traded release dates um that would make sense at least on paper we'll see if that comes into fruition um but as far as Deadpool 3 being delayed I think at this point it was pretty much inevitable but like they say all good things come to those who wait and wait and wait and wait and wait <laughs> it was pretty bold of them to think that you know this film could come out still on time i mean they were really holding on to that release date with like every last fiber of their being because i mean mm-hmm. i think everyone pretty much saw this coming i mean everything else got shifted on the calendar but deadpool 3 so um yeah which is definitely a film that i feel like they should take their time with if they're gonna have like a million cameos in it as predicted yeah, there feels like there's a lot of moving parts, right? Uh-huh. So, um, I like you said, I'd much rather have them take their time than rush the thing out. But anyway, moving on to more bad news on the Marvel front. Uh, it looks like the Wonder Man series might have been scrapped by the studio. Rumors dropped this week about the Wonder Man series after author of the new Marvel book, MCU The Reign of Marvel Studios, Joanna Robinson, was interviewed by The Watch. In the interview, she stated that sources tell her Marvel is trashing the Wonder Man series entirely. For those who don't recall, it was announced back in June that Wonder Man would be played by Yaha Abdul-Mateen II, who recently starred in Candyman and is Black Manta in the upcoming Aquaman film. Uh, This was being looked at as another Marvel miniseries, and as we talked last week, Marvel seems to be pulling away from the miniseries formula, and perhaps this is, you know, kind of a result of that. Or maybe it's a result of no one giving a shit about Wonder Man. I mean, <laughs> you're not wrong. I love Yaha as an actor, and I think he'd kill it in any role that, you know, Marvel chooses to give him. But I was really having a hard time getting excited for this series, because, like I said, I mean, Wonder Man in the comics is just the drizzling shits to me. Like, his story, his backstory, just, I mean, his history with other characters, it's so convoluted and weird that... I just didn't really want to see the MCU version, even mm. though I'm sure they'd streamline a lot of that bullshit. Um, 
and it just it feels like such a waste of Yaha. Like, give him a juicier role than Wonder Man. Like, he's literally like my least favorite Avenger. And that's saying a lot because there's a lot of crappy Avengers out there. Oh, give him like a Luke Cage or something like that. You know, like there's so many other yeah, characters I mean, that can be represented. If they're choosing to like recast that role. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's so many more interesting characters, you know, under the Marvel umbrella that he could play. I mean, they're about to introduce the fucking X-Men. So, yes. I mean, come on. What mm-hmm. are we doing? Wonder Man? Anyway, moving on, looks like the cult favorite animated series, Gargoyles, is going to become a live action series for Disney+. For The Hollywood Reporter this week, 90s animated series Gargoyles is making a return in live action this time for Disney+. With director Gary Doberman, who worked on both the Annabelle creation and Annabelle Comes Home, set to work with James Wan's Atomic Monster once more on this series. So growing up, I just kind of missed the Gargoyles train. Uh, I believe it came out when I was in high school. So, like, I, I, you know, I've caught an episode here and there, and it was pretty good, but it was never anything that really hooked me. I think I was more fascinated by the fact that it had a lot of the cast of uh, Star Trek Next Generation doing the voice acting. Um, But I don't know. I mean, it it seemed cool, but I just, I don't know. I just missed it, I guess. (laughs) And I haven't gone back and revisited. But since Disney Plus has, you know, become a thing, it seems like a lot of those older fans have, you know, refound the series, and it's also found a new fan base at the same time. So I, I totally get this. Um, I know right now uh, NECA has a Gargoyles toy line that's really popular. So there's definitely like a thirst for more Gargoyles out there. So, I mean, I, I totally see why they would want to do a live action series. I'm actually surprised that they're not doing um, an animated series and going the X-Men 97 route and just kind of doing like a soft reboot. You know, it's one of those shows where I've heard nothing but positive things for it over the years. Um, you know, I, I watched it as a kid, but I, I don't think I processed anything that was going on in that uh, at that point in my life. I know one thing that made the series unique and different and really captured a lot of imaginations, you know, of kids in the 90s was just like the darker storyline um, and, you know, the fact that it had like a strong continuity, um, you know, which was different than a lot of animated series back then, um, that, which were kind of like one and done episode wise. There were real like strong plot threads that you could follow throughout the series. It was just more of a mature level of storytelling that, you know, kids weren't necessarily getting with their, you know, animated series. So uh, I think that's why it's garnered such a fan base over the years. Now, I can't imagine, though, what kind of price tag is going to come along with the series, though, like doing it in live action form, you know, with these giant fucking creatures. Um, you know, we've already let, let heard. Let it all go practical. Right? <laughs> I mean, we've heard that, you know, Disney Plus has been kind of struggling. Mm-hmm. So I'm surprised that they would, you know, want to do a series that, you know, budget-wise has got to be huge. Um, so we'll see how this all works out. I mean, yeah, hopefully it doesn't turn into like it's a focusing mostly on the human aspect uh, than the actual gargoyles or something like that. Something, some way to hide uh, yeah, how much CGI that they have to use. Because fans will turn on that quickly. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> If it's going to be called Gargoyles, there better be fucking Gargoyles in it. Up next, it looks like fans of the brand new boy spinoff series, Gen V, just got some good news. 
The official account for Gen V took to X this week with a big announcement as Amazon Prime has greenlit them for a season two. The show is currently a little over halfway through, but has clearly been successful enough for another season, and a whole lot of world building has been done throughout this show, which you know takes a dive into the entire culture of soups and dealing with the reality of parents who try to force powers on their kids. There's a really a whole lot you can do with a show like this. Um, the season finale for season one airs November 3rd, and I'll make sure to have a review for you guys by then. Now you've actually caught a couple episodes. Are you liking it so far? Yeah, I'm enjoying it. I, I like I, I liken it to Riverdale, but if it was you know written by better people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's like Riverdale if it was good. Yes. <laughs> That's what you're saying. Because <laughs> it still has that same, like, there's, you know, a mystery behind everything that's going on. Um, you know, it feels very teen drama. Gotcha. But at the same time, it's it's still got that boy's punch with every episode. Have they, like, captured the feel of the boys series, though? Like, does it feel like it belongs in that world? Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, for people that have seen it, the hand dryer scene alone is uh, 100% the boys. Gotcha. I haven't <laughs> had a chance to, like, catch any episodes yet, so I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing what it's all about. How many episodes is the series or the season? Um, It's going to be eight. Eight. I actually oh, thought okay. it was going to be six, but it's eight episodes. So I've got a lot of catching up to do. They're right. breeze. They're easy to watch. We also got a story out of Beyond Fest this week as their official social media accounts posted out confirmation of Trick or Treat 2 in active development through Legendary Studios. Director Mike Doherty at the event delighted fans of the cult classic by officially making the announcement while on stage. Uh, DeadCentral.com though was quick to point out that while this project is in development, it has not yet actually been greenlit, but we remain hopeful for Sam's return and hopefully on the big screen for its sequel. And now for the nerds breakdown of Loki season two, episode three. Heavy spoilers ahead, you have been warned. But perhaps we can shape it. It's him. You made him sound like this terrifying figure. Arriving in Sweet Home Chicago in 1868 of the Sacred Timeline, Renslayer seeks out Miss Minutes, who was given orders by He Who Remains to give a younger version of himself a copy of the TVA guidebook. Miss Minutes pushes Renslayer to actually put the package through his window, which he eventually agrees to do. I'm really digging all the different time periods that they visited so far. I hope that like continues throughout this season. Um, the set design and all the costumes have been great, you know, so far. Um, I'm sure it's going to lead to a lot of like fantastic cosplay, you know, at conventions this year, mm -hmm. you know, especially for Loki. Um, you know, I, I, it's good to catch up with Renslayer. Uh, like this is the first time we've seen her this season. And I don't know, like I thought Renslayer and Miss Minutes had good chemistry, which sounds weird, but you know, <laughs> um, you know, I, it's kind of the team up I didn't know I wanted, uh, but <laughs> You know, unfortunately, only lasted for a short period of time. Yeah, as far as the uh, time travel a bit, it, you know, it's just like Quantum Leap. You know, it, it gives you that just brand new setting every single episode, which, which is one of the things that I enjoyed about WandaVision having, you know, a new time period pretty much every you know, episode. It's funny that you said that because I was totally getting Quantum Leap vibes uh -huh. throughout this episode. <laughs> I don't know, something about Loki with the Derby on, you know, coming through the time door and everything like that. I, mm -hmm. You know, 
I, I love Quantum Leap, so I'm all for that vibe. We then join back up with Loki as Obi explains that they are all going to die. The group struggles outside the temporal loom to figure out a way past its blast doors, but Obi continuously tells them it's impossible. Their only remaining choice seems to be finding Miss Minutes and Renslayer, which Casey tracks down their location to two different years on the timeline. Yeah, and here they state, you know, even though I think they said, I, I think it was mentioned that it was like 30% of the new timelines were pruned last episode. Um, they mentioned that, you know, they've already begun to start to grow back. So, um, you know, it's apparent that, you know, they're in serious shit and they need to, you know, figure things out now or never. This might be a weird technical question, but do you think Renslayer giving Timely the book created another timeline don't do this to me christian would that because that's how they explain <laughs> shit in the past i have no clue but it's also on the sacred timeline so was she always the one that gave him the book it's I, maybe I, I I, christian please <laughs> stop yourself <laughs> as long as it makes sense at least on the surface level i'm, I'm just gonna go with it all right so not to get in the weeds here, but to get in the weeds a little bit. Source material-wise, which is obviously the comics, you know, they're definitely diverging from King's origin story. Seemingly, here in the MCU, it looks like King actually came from this time period, because we see, you know, King as a younger boy mm. receive the TVA manual. Um, in the comics... Kang is from the future, um, and he's possibly related to Reed Richards, um, and he comes back, he travels back through the past, um, and he, he actually arrives um, in this timeline as Victor Timely as an adult. He becomes like this huge industrialist, introducing all this new technology um, way ahead of its time. He sets up this, like his own town basically in Wisconsin. And I think it eventually becomes Chronopolis. I, I might be mistaken, but I, I believe that's the origin story of Chronopolis. But compared to the origin story that we got in, you know, Marvel Comics, the, this is quite different. Now, that doesn't mean that later on down the line in the MCU, they can't make the Reed Richards, you know, Nathaniel Richards uh, connection. Uh, that's King's real name in uh, the comics. But, you know, for right now, it seems like they're kind of like sidestepping that. Which makes sense since they haven't actually introduced Reed Richards yet, you know, in the mm. MCU proper, so. Yeah, and as we said, all of this can be written off as a variant at any time. Like, yeah. any of these characters. That's, so. no, like, once again, <laughs> I'm only tackling this stuff on a surface level. So I don't know, like, yes, it, this is a variant, so does that mean that he could possibly have a different origin story? Absolutely, I guess. Um, <laughs> what that all means, I have no fucking clue. Arriving in 1868, Loki and Mobius question why Renslayer would come here as no prudent events seem to relate to anything with the TVA during this time period. So they quickly jump 25 years to the other time that Renslayer's TEDPAD was active in, which was 1893, for the World's Fair that was held in Chicago at that time. Loki is less than optimistic about being able to track them down, but soon after arriving, a kid selling newspapers mentions a ghostly clock haunting the midway. This definitely felt like throwing a dart, like blindly at a dartboard and, you know, kind of looking out, like, <laughs> but sure, whatever moves the plot along. What about along. leg work for Mobius, okay? He can yeah. do it. 
<laughs> yeah, I mean, there definitely doesn't seem to be much urgency behind his method of, you know, tracking King down here. But I mean, he I guess maybe he's used to the TVA, like in how like time moves there. Mm -hmm. He also doesn't really understand the threat of Kang just yet. He hasn't seen it himself, you know? I guess, but at this point, he should understand it's pretty fucking major, especially since the TVA yeah. might explode <laughs> at any minute. Later on that day, we see that Loki and Mobius have tried several of the food concessions there, which is pretty much annoying Loki at this point as Mobius is sightseeing. But Mobius claims it's all part of his strategy. They then run into a building with wooden sculptures of Odin, Thor, and Boulder, which Loki is less than impressed by. Yeah, I like to crack about Thor not being that tall. Um, also, uh, Boulder the Brave was a nice little Easter egg. Uh, I think we all know that Boulder was originally supposed to be in Multiverse of Madness. Um, and played by Daniel Craig, of all people, until uh, they decided to go the Reed Richards route. Um, so, and I don't know, maybe it wasn't actually supposed to be an Easter egg. And maybe, like, at that time when this was written, like, Boulder was still in Multiverse of Madness. But yeah, I mean, it felt like a little, like, not in a wink to that. But speaking of Easter eggs, um, one that I was expecting, but we didn't get, um, you know, since we're at the World's Fair, I thought we'd get, like, a, you know, another Jim Hammond sighting. Um, for those who don't know, Jim Hammond is the original Human Torch. Um, he's like this android that was created by a scientist who actually was mentored by uh, Victor Timely. So I thought, you know, since we actually saw um, Jim in a tube in, uh, I believe it was Captain America First Avenger, that we would see him again here, but uh, they just didn't go that route. And maybe, you know, with the Human Torch about to be introduced in Fantastic Four, maybe they thought that would be, like, too confusing. Yeah, I can see them wanting to just avoid anything with Fantastic Four until it's officially out there. It is, like, a brand new team for them to deal with with a whole lot of lore that... Well, who knows if they're going to go before what's happened in the MCU or not. Yeah, yeah, and, like, saying, oh, here's another Human Torch who doesn't really have any connection to uh -huh. the Human Torch we're about to, you know, introduce you to. It might be a little too much, I can see. And, uh, and honestly, like, the whole Victor Timely thing was something that was retconned, you know, later on in Marvel's history. Because uh, Jim Hammond is actually one of Marvel's first, like, actual superheroes. Like, I, I think he's in, like, Marvel Comics 1. Like, number one. <laughs> Which I think that comic book, like, debuted in, like, the late 30s? Um, so that was way before Kang and this whole idea that, you know, Victor somehow tutored the scientist behind you know his creation nearby they see a sign for a presentation by victor timely and his temporal machine and deduce that that's where they'll find renslayer and they're not wrong as they spot her amongst the crowd in this beer hall waiting for the presentation to begin which the curtains draw back and we're immediately given a familiar scene as the after credits of ant-man and the wasp quantumania play out with victor timely introducing the temporal loom Victor Timely, while being heckled, puts on a show of how the temporal loom may create and generate power for the entire world. As he finishes on stage, though, Mobius exclaims they need to grab him and take him back to the TVA, since Victor may actually be able to help them even more than Miss Minutes. First of all, I love that Jonathan Majors found a way to make this character even more eccentric and quirky. Like, <laughs> even compared to, like, you know, his performance as He Who Remains. He was definitely chewing up all of the scenery. I'm not going to lie. At first, I was like, is he doing the voice on purpose or or is this actually like who he is? It definitely felt at first 
it was kind of like the theatrics of it all. But then mm-hmm. later on, we find out, no, that's kind of who he is, right? Um, but yeah, no, it, it was fun, though. I, I enjoyed, you know, this this variant of K. I mean, you got to bring something different to each version. Otherwise, it's going to get real weird. <laughs> I guess. But like, I don't think you need to keep on getting weirder and weirder with every variant. Like, I, I, I think what worries me and what's kind of turning me off to Kang is what we got at the end of like Quantumania where we see like in the end credits the Council of Kangs and they're all just like just stark raving mad you know from the looks of things um, like if that's where we're headed I don't know because I mean the, the character's already a little like I said like quirky and zany and he just mm-hmm. doesn't have that imposing threat like of a big bad you know, like a uh, uh, Thanos, you know, so I'm just worried that he doesn't have enough like gravitas as a villain to carry this new phase of the MCU, because um, we've got a lot of fucking movies to go here. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's supposed to be the main villain. Um, but like as of right now, I don't know, like the threat just doesn't feel big enough, even though we're dealing with the multiverse and, you know, all of existence. He just as a character I don't know. He's just not terrifying to me. And I'm like, don't get me wrong. Like every villain's different. And I don't want every villain to be a cookie cutter of Thanos. But like, I don't know. Give me something similar to what like Gunn gave us with like High Evolutionary. Like mm. that character was frightening. Right? Yeah. So like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm like, how do you feel about King so far? I, well, I think it just comes back to, you know, I thought he should have possibly one in ant-man not to the point where he kills ant-man but you know survived that well, i felt like that a, king should have made a it. lot of people speculated that that was actually where the movie was originally headed and uh-huh. you know three through like reshoots they actually changed the ending um because it, it felt like nothing ended up being accomplished in that film exactly. at the end of the day um, and I know a lot of people like, you know, and I even joked about it, like the King took the loss, you know, in that film. And a lot of people are like, oh, King's already dead. It's comics. He's not dead. He got sucked into uh-huh. some doohickey. I'm sure he survived. Um, or, you know, maybe Victor Timely here eventually becomes that version of Kang. King the Conqueror. Or, oh God. <laughs> or a different version of King the Conqueror, who's even more. I mean, we still have plenty of films to go, I guess. But, you know, at this time, I'm not like super like. No, he's the most threatening thing to this universe at the at the very moment. And we've talked about it before. I think the big difference is, like, we've been exposed to him so much at this point. Uh-huh. We're with, like, Thanos, like, we would see him, like, during end credit scenes. You know, we would just get, like, brief moments with him, like, really building his threat up. Where with, like, Thanos, we'd only see him for like, you know, brief moments in like end credit scenes. And it really like helped to like build up that character and that like looming threat to come. Um, mm-hmm. So when he does actually like end up showing up, it feels like a big deal. And you know, like shit's about to hit the fan. Renslayer tries to intercept Victor Timely, but those who actually heckled him immediately begin to swarm trying to purchase the temporal loom. A bidding war breaks out, and Timely is eventually offered $1,000, which pleases Victor. 
Renslayer, however, catches Victor later paying off a man that seemed to incite the crowd into a bidding battle. Meanwhile, Loki teleports a man he accidentally bumped into because that guy wants to start a fight. All right, not to nitpick here, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm going to bitch a little about Loki's power set once again, because like this episode is, you know, basically catch me if you can, you know, just this whole big chase. Uh, um, but here we see Loki able to just take someone and teleport them off to another place. And like, you know, they show us this up front. But then later on, we see Loki, you know, physically chasing after Victor. And it's like, why aren't you just zapping him to where you want him to be? Like, why is this? And I understand that just ruins the episode. <laughs> but I mean, like, it, you know, like, or zap the thugs like miles away. Like, what are we doing here? Um, just that weird inconsistency with Loki's power that, you know, mm -hmm. that seemingly happens throughout, you know, this series. I don't know. I, I just like right here. It just stuck out like a, a sore thumb again. I'm choosing like you to with the timeline to just I'm going to ignore how powerful he is at times. Yeah. <laughs> and as Star Wars fans, I mean, obviously, we're used to, you know, power level inconsistencies all the time with, you know, Jedi's and Sith. So it is what it is. With Star Wars, it's just the force at all times. That's the answer. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Outside, Renslayer catches up with Victor, but is quickly followed by Loki and Mobius, who try to pry him away from her. What both parties come to learn is that Timely is a bit of a con man, as another gentleman approaches with trousers Timely sold him to help him grow. I loved how uh, Victor started to squat lower uh -huh. <laughs> when talking to him. <laughs> well, you look tall to me. Yes, that was that was awesome. Um, yeah, it's, so it seems like he is basically selling these prototypes to help fund his actual inventions. That's what I kind of got out of this. He is in a way running a con, but it's all kind of in the name of helping him like actually get the funds to develop the actual technology he's trying to invent. Loki and Mobius struggle to slow down Victor Timely as he's clearly trying his hardest to get away from the beer hall, but it's not long until the men that he sold his prototype of the temporal loom to come chasing, as we see Victor hide amongst what seems like an Egyptian booth, most likely an Easter egg to Rama Tut. Yeah, no, I thought the same thing. I was actually also expecting to get maybe like a little like Moon Knight nod, but that didn't happen, obviously. Running to the Ferris wheel, Victor is able to trick his pursuers into a Ferris wheel car. Meanwhile, Mobius gets a call from B-15 that some weird temporal energy signature has arrived where they are. Loki, who finally catches up with Victor, is surprised when Sylvie's sword nearly comes into striking range, as Loki is then forced to quickly get in between the two of them. A skirmish begins as the three enter the next Ferris wheel car, with Loki protecting Victor and trying to talk Sylvie down from killing him, just like we saw with He Who Remains, as Sylvie points out. Yeah, I mean, Sylvie definitely felt unhinged once again and just completely not willing to listen to any kind of reason. Which I thought built really well into the ending. Yeah, I agree, and I was kind of surprised that we actually got that kind of character growth so soon this season from Sylvie. Um, but we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, Victor is totally taking all this like wizardry in stride though. <laughs> oh, <laughs> He's yeah. totally not freaked out <laughs> at all by any of this. And I don't know, maybe it's, you know, him being somewhat privy to the future in his technology books, but I, I don't fucking know. I guess I don't know. I was kind of expecting like a line, you know, from him, you know, kind of like, 
just of him like being inquisitive exactly on like how they're doing what they're doing you know kind of expecting it to be more like tech based um but yeah he even himself like calls loki a wizard so it's probably you know survive first freak out later <laughs> while they fight in the ferris wheel mobius approaches renslayer asking why she's doing this and why they can't work together to fix the temporal loom but she refuses to give him a straight answer in the Ferris wheel, though, Sylvie blames the TVA for the monster Victor Timely will become. As she shows him the TVA guidebook Victor was given as a child, explaining if the TVA hadn't actually gotten into his head, he never would have become he who remains. Loki swears, however, that he and Mobius had nothing to do with the book getting into Victor's hands, that he didn't even know who Victor was until moments ago. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's like a case of like what came first, the chicken or the egg. Um... But I, like I said, I'm not getting deep into the weeds on that. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> because also, like, once again, like, this is how this variant of Kang found out about the TVA and, like, what started him on his path. But does that mean all variants travel the same road? Like, I, I don't feel like that's the case. Okay. I, <laughs> I'm pumping the brakes. <laughs> I can feel the headache coming. I mean, up. that's kind of the argument that they're having, though, in that, you know, whole car is like, hey, you kill him and or if the TVA didn't exist, your universe wouldn't exist. It's it just keeps going back and forth between Loki and Sylvie at this point. It, but it just feels like Sylvie's being completely irrational, though. Like if you yeah. kill him here, basically, he's our answer to stopping the loom of existence pretty much uh -huh. from exploding <laughs> and none of us existing so it is what it is at this point we've got to keep him alive but she she just doesn't want to hear it as the ferris wheel reaches the bottom the two blasts each other with the same amount of power knocking both loki's back and even pushing timely to the grounds nearby renslayer seizes the moment and has miss minutes become a giant ghost clock to scare away patrons of the world's fair while also helping victor to escape so yeah you would think this moment would have serious consequences on the the, the timeline right yeah <laughs> <laughs> remember that time a giant fucking ghost showed up in the middle of chicago and chased everyone at the World's Fair. <laughs> and it's like some of the most important people in the world at this event. Yes. So that would definitely affect like the entirety yes, of the world. There should be a ripple effect, you know, uh -huh. from this moment. <laughs> but it is what it is. Victor takes Miss Minutes and Renslayer to his hideout, where the two of them try their best to explain the situation they're currently in. And how, you know, a variant of Victor created the TVA and how Sylvie killed the other version of him. Uh, Miss Minutes noticeably scoffs as Renslayer and Victor get closer in this moment, with Ravana promising to keep Victor safe as she plans to take him to the loom. Yeah, this is a weird love triangle here, right? Very odd dynamic. Yes. I was very creeped out from the moment right? it started happening. <laughs> I'm curious to see if we ever find out, like, what Renslayer and He Who Remains, like, what their relationship was like prior to all of this. Because I have a feeling that's why Miss Minutes has so much resentment towards her, especially once she sees the chemistry the two have together. Um, and just from that, like, recording that we hear, it feels like they, they're pretty close. You know, the, the mm -hmm. recording we heard a couple episodes ago, or was that last episode? Um, and I know, like, you know, she's been mind-wiped with the rest of the TVA probably multiple times at this point, but, like, maybe that's why she has this, like, sense of loyalty, you know, deep down. To him well we're definitely gonna learn something uh next episode based off of what happens at the end that is so. that is true <laughs> victor notices that this is a similar plan to what loki and mobius were asking for 
but Renslayer explains that he can't trust them as Loki was partially responsible for his variant's death, claiming he switches sides often. I mean, honestly, she's not wrong. I mean, you shouldn't trust Loki, right? Uh -uh. <laughs> Victor then agrees to go along with Renslayer only after, you know, getting his prototype from his shop across the lake. And while he says this, some of the goons from earlier come banging on his door. Meanwhile, Loki and Mobius close in and ultimately scare away the goons that are coming after Victor. But still, Loki isn't able to find the cleverly hidden Victor timely. We see make an escape with Renslayer after Loki and Mobius run looking in the wrong direction. Like seriously, like Loki doesn't have a spell for this situation here. <laughs> like there's not a GPS like spell or tracking spell, like come on. Or like maybe another version of him can stand there for a moment while he looks around in other areas. To zero in on him but he's got the abilities to do it you can you can go all day on yeah, this I'm but... not gonna, I, I'll move on <laughs> <laughs> I'll let it go I promise getting on to the next ferry across the lake Renslayer asks what invention are they rushing to go pick up Victor explains it's a tool to understand and manipulate time Victor then shows her the TVA guidebook he got as a child and explains its importance as well as shows her the throughput multiplier that may help fix the loom. Ravana reveals that it was her that you know actually dropped the book in his home as a child, which again frustrates Miss Minutes, who explains that she really pushed her to go do it. Victor pays no mind to that as he gives Renslayer a paper flower. But when Renslayer mentions that she has high hopes for their partnership, Victor's whole expression changes, and we quickly cut to the next day with Renslayer waking up on a lifeboat floating away from the ship, as Miss Minutes explains that Victor isn't looking for partners. Yeah, this is foreshadowed earlier um, during the whole auction scene when someone mentions wanting to be his partner. So mm -hmm. um, I definitely didn't see this coming, though. But knowing Kang, you know, from the comics, he's definitely not looking to share power with anyone. You know, he's Kang the Conqueror, not Kang a Conqueror. This finally gives Miss Minutes and Victor some alone time as they make it to the lab, where he actually collects the throughput multiplier. But when he asks Miss Minutes to go to the TVA, he tells him he better wait it out and you know lay low for a little bit after everything that happened at the World's Fair. Miss Minutes then tells Victor of her origins and how you know he who remains actually took her from a simple AI to a free-willed machine, and how she stood by his side through thick and thin. But he who remains never actually gave her what she truly wanted, and that was a body of her own. She then questions if Victor would consider making her a girl as she creepily molds herself around the head of a nearby mannequin. Yeah, this was definitely terrifying. Um, and a wrinkle I didn't see coming whatsoever. <laughs> uh, but back to the the multiplier. This, this invention was in the TVA manual? It's in the guidebook, yes. So does OB... So Obi knows about it then, because he wrote he wrote the guidebook. Yes, I mean it seems like he has a way to fix it, but he just can't get out to the blast doors, you know. Oh, okay, so that's the issue. So like Obi mm -hmm. could use the multiplier, but he can't access. Okay, I got it. That makes sense. I will say I'm really looking forward for Victor and Obi to meet. Um, that should be fun. Uh, but back to Miss Timely. Yeah, it looks like she's gonna be playing a bigger part in this series than I originally thought. Um, I, I really. Felt like, oh, she's just a cute little mascot to sell merch. But it definitely feels like she's going to be playing a pivotal role and kind of manipulating things behind the scenes, right? And, yeah. And, and who knows how long she's been, like, manipulating things. Also, yeah, because I didn't realize she had, like, full free will, like, at all. I, I thought, like, it was simply just programmed to 
do whatever you know he who reigns wants. Well, she thinks she has full free will. Well, I right? guess yeah. I mean, this is uh, King we're dealing with, so I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't have some kind of hell safe, you know, that mm. she doesn't even know about. Still, I wonder if she's gonna get her own like Ultron body or some shit like that. Well, once again, that's terrifying, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> Never ends well with AI. No. Victor, panicking, turns Miss Minutes off with Renslayer's tempad that they stole off of her. And after Miss Minutes is gone, Renslayer appears with a prototype prune stick, exclaiming she's in charge now, threatening to use it on him if he doesn't fall in line. I was actually surprised to see like how far along he was with like building the prune stick. <laughs> like. It- like it looked like it was ready to go yeah it makes you wonder because all the other technology seems pretty like like at a basic level you know compared to that prototypes right you know to the point where you're wondering like if he has the resources that he needs in this time period to build what he needs to build um but when it comes to the prune stick i mean it looked like it was locked and ready to go so luckily for victor mobius and loki come barging in mobius questions who renslayer is becoming but She's quick to explain that Mobius has no right to question her as he never understood the position she was in this whole time. She points out how far the TVA has fallen after she left and that she truly is order, which if saying that was a cue in itself, a blast of green energy throws everyone in the room as the goddess of chaos, Sylvie, makes her entrance. You know, I totally forgot that Red Slayer and uh, Mobius are close, right? Like I almost felt like in the first season they were kind of hinting that there might have been like something between the two. You know, even though, you know, she ends up pruning him at the end of the, the first season. Uh, but hey, I mean, the fact that that happened and Mobius still in the scene still feels like sympathetic towards her. You know, it tells you that there's probably something more than meets the eye, you know, between these two, at least for Mobius. Sylvie, being the only one standing at this point, approaches Victor Timely with her blade. Victor pleads for his life, though, telling her he is not who she thinks he is, and puts, you know, the whole conundrum of the fact that he's yet to truly do any harm, you know, into question. Sylvie claims he will become a monster, but Victor states he has the freedom to make his own choices and be better than whoever Sylvie thinks he is. This speaks to Sylvie as she lowers her sword. Mobius, though, quickly opens the doorway to the TVA and has Victor go through it. Yeah, I mean, she's pretty much becoming her own twisted version of the TVA, you know, wanting to prune all these variants of Kang, you know, if they do pop up. That's very true, yeah. So it makes sense that this kind of puts her like a, in a moral dilemma. Um, now, with that being said, like once an army of Kangs show up, I'm sure Loki's going to be changing his tune and letting her just kill away. Um, mm. But in the meantime, I mean, this is the name of like, saving all of existence so um you know luckily she had a change of heart i hope she gets to appear in secret wars and, you know she doesn't like it either killed off in this show or just doesn't appear in general yeah i mean maybe it seems like you know we're gonna be dealing with a huge cast so why mm. not throw her in right and it, i mean she's a big part of the story so far after mobius and loki leave with victor sylvie is then left with renslayer Renslayer tells Sylvie to get it over with, but Sylvie explains uh, after imagining Renslayer's death for years, she no longer needs that. Sylvie realizes that all Renslayer actually wants is power and a seat at the end of time, so she gives her exactly that as she kicks Renslayer through a time door to the final resting spot of the decaying He Who Remains. Yeah, I mean, this was pretty messed up, right? Like, seeing his corpse sitting there? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. It was a cruel way to end it for her. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially since that little, like, pocket verse, it looks like it's crumbling. 
Um, mm -hmm. And she seemingly has no escape. But the whole visual of like he who remains riding corpse like, you know, in his throne is, I don't know, man. It was it was something that I wasn't expecting <laughs> this episode. Feels much darker than what we usually get with these like Disney Plus shows. To close out our episode, Miss Minutes claims that Victor chose poorly going against someone who knows all his secrets and tells Renslayer there's a big one about her that's going to make her really angry. Huh, I have no clue what that could possibly mean. Um, but I love the fact that the show, like with every like turn, there seems to be a twist that I don't mm -hmm. see coming. So, um, I guess we'll find out next week what the big reveal is. I'm hoping it's not like I was based off of you, like Miss Minutes is Red Slayer or something like oh, that. Oh, like off her like, you know, brain patterns or something like that. Uh -huh. That that'd be pretty <laughs> fucked up too, right? <laughs> I don't know if that would explain the country accent, but I mean no. it is what it is. <laughs> like I know in the comics Renslayer and King have like a story relationship, but mm. but there's nothing that really comes to mind that would work as a big reveal here. Um, I'm guessing it's something that he probably like mind wiped her to forget at some point. That's what I'm thinking. Like, you know, he originally had, they were going to do this all together and then he mind wiped her and, you know, got full control. Yeah. And, and maybe they did have like a life together and like they were married and who knows, maybe even had a family or something like that. I mean, that would be pretty fucked up. Especially if he just, like, wiped it all away. All in the name of, like, keeping the power all for himself. I mean, he doesn't like partners, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, but I gotta say, I think this is probably my favorite episode so far. Um, definitely not as, like, exposition-heavy as the first two episodes. Um, with a lot of good, like, character development and just, just a fun all-around chase, um, you know, throughout the episode. And I also like the fact that we spent a lot less time in the TVA. Like, they were actually able to, like, get out and, you know, tell the story in a different setting. Oh, with that being said, I feel like next episode is going to be very exposition yes. heavy. And, and all, all in TVA. the TVA. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I agree. Like, uh, because they were able to finally get out of the TVA and stop, you know, telling us how the world is coming to an end and actually start doing something about it. This episode was a lot more exciting, you know? It wasn't just OB screaming, we're yes. all going to die over and over again, <laughs> Which right? Which is still fun, but this no, was a little it bit is. better. <laughs> but I mean, you know, I mean, it's a dingy, you know, office stuck uh -huh. in the 60s with no fucking windows. So after a while, <laughs> you know, even as a viewer, it feels a little, like, claustrophobic. And even though, like, we only have, like, three episodes left, I'm hoping that we get another episode like this where we can see them in a different setting. It, it just, I don't know. For me, it just kind of freshens things up a little. Because even mm -hmm. in the first season, you know, we spent a decent amount of time in the TVA. I mean, this is a show about the multiverse. So I'd like to see a little of the multiverse, if you will. But with that being said, make sure to join us next week as we break down episode four of Loki. All right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1 the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional basis every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy and immune system support, but I hated taking vitamins every single day and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day 
day and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even help improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. That's drinkag1.com slash nerdshow and check it out. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. So this week in gaming, there's been a story floating around about Game Pass that I feel has gotten people a little mixed up on what's actually going on. Because I've seen over and over again how games like Call of Duty and Diablo aren't actually making their way to Game Pass. But the key thing that a lot of people are missing out on is the fact that they said that it's not coming to Game Pass this year, but have been but they do have big hopes for them to actually put it out in 2024. The internet is truly an impatient place, but they've only just now acquired the company. So of course, it's gonna take a little bit of time before they can actually start doing things with the games that they probably want to. I mean, for fuck's sakes, they're probably gonna fire a bunch of people in the next few months and you know, really you know, whittle down Activision and Blizzard into a company that fits within the Microsoft brand. God knows a lot of change needs to happen over at Activision anyway. Not that layoffs are ever fun. We just know there's still a lot to be done before we'll probably see any of their games making the official transition over to Game Pass. But you know, 100% we're going to be getting there. And it's clear that Phil and the company, you know, are looking forward to having that huge games library include all of Activision and Blizzard's titles. So never fear, they're coming, just, you know, probably either summer or fall next year. Outside of Xbox this week, there were some contested rumors for the PS5 Pro, which had some leaked specs hit the internet. Uh, many industry insiders are already saying, you know, take this with a grain of salt, but the reported specs point towards the PS5 Pro, which is not the same as the slim one that's coming this winter, just wanna make that clear, but a slightly beefier console upgrading its GPU from the Radon 2 to the Radon 3. However, the CPU is said to be getting only a higher clock speed at 4.0 gigahertz over the 3.5 with the AMD Resin Gen 2 that is currently installed in PS5. 
Many were surprised that Sony wouldn't opt for the Zen 4 CPU as that would make for a much bigger upgrade, but my thinking is that it all has to really do with keeping the cost of the Pro down. This rumor is true, of course. Not many people, especially after the massive struggle it was to even get the current version of the PS5 in their hands, are probably going to be willing to drop something way over $600 on an upgraded PS5, especially in the later half of the console's life cycle. So I could see them opting to keep the price as low as possible at the sacrifice of this CPU being upgraded. Just my personal thoughts though here, not actual fact, you know, put down just yet on what's going on with the console. But there's also the fact that, you know, Sony might be just relying on the already incredible performance that its console has been able to put out. I mean, you just look at what Insomniac has done with Spider-Man 2 and it's incredible load speeds to handle loading in that city as you swing through it as fast as possible. Um, speaking of which, while the game just dropped this weekend, my schedule ended up being a little bit more packed than I was actually expecting. So we're probably going to have to wait till next weekend to dive into the game live on Twitch. Right now, we're still completing Starfield and have begun doing weekly streams in Seven Days to Die with my good friend Victor, as both of us are trying to actually take the game a little bit more seriously and see how far we can go. So make sure to follow The Amazing Nerd Show on Twitch for all our gaming adventures. But for now, let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling. One more key, one more key thing that you guys all need to know. The only thing for sure about Sting is my retirement, Revolution 2024, is for sure. Wow, massive announcement by the icon Sting winding down his Hall of Fame career. All right, welcome to our AW Week in Review, uh, the segment where we talk all of the past week's highlights, um, at least in our eyes. Um, all in all, I thought it was a pretty solid week for AEW. Uh, some great in-ring action uh, with some, you know, pretty good story progression. Uh, let's start off with Collision, which feels like was like a year ago, but it always does at the point that we, you know, we actually record this episode. Um, but um, I don't know. Collision for me was pretty much a one match show, which was uh, Danielson versus Christian. Uh, but we started off the night in very WWE fashion with kind of a smorgasbord segment, if you will, that just kind of featured all of our main players and, mm -hmm. you know, that show's main storylines. Uh, we had Edge and Christian out there, along with, you know, Brian Danielson, FTR, um, Nick Wayne, Luchasaurus. Am I forgetting anyone, Christian? I don't believe so. Uh, I think okay. that's all eight of them. So. I mean, that that's plenty. That's uh. plenty. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, maybe this is kind of like a look at, like, Edge's creative juices, um, because this felt, once again, very WWE-like. Um I was surprised to see FTR in a way, you know, in this segment, just because I thought they'd be selling, you know, the supposed injuries that we know now was was a work. But honestly, it felt like we'd be probably seeing them, you know, back in the ring sooner than later. 
Um, I don't know if you got that vibe. Honestly, if there hadn't been a main event already scheduled, I, I thought all four or all eight of them would have been in a match that night. I was actually expecting them to announce that for next week's collision, mm-hmm. honestly. So, um, but the segment was all about setting the table for, you know, basically what's happening in all the storylines. Um, you know, we had FTR mixing up with Ricky and, uh, you know, Big Bill, but not before Edge and Ricky kind of went at it on the mic. Um, Ricky made some kind of like comment mm-hmm. about Edge's bug eyes, and then Edge said something about Ricky's pants. And then Edge basically took a bunch of jabs at Ricky, calling him a low rent rock. But it definitely felt pretty tense and unscripted, if you will. <laughs> so, um, I don't know. I, like, it, it didn't hurt the segment. Um, if anything, it just added to the intrigue. But uh, we'll see if anything comes of this. Uh, I could see a program eventually between Ricky and, you know, Edge. Uh, but I'm wondering if there was any hard feelings backstage. I'd like to think that Edge or Adam Copeland, whatever you want to call him at this point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I apologize. That's right. He is Adam Copeland now. So uh, I, w- I like to think that, you know, both of them took it in stride. Like we didn't get like any CM Punk, you know, shit in the back. At Leaks, that point. right? Yeah, yeah. We haven't heard any, like any uh, news stories about bad blood. So hopefully it stays that way. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't think Edge maybe was expecting to catch a stray from Ricky and decided to return fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, but you know, as the segment unfolded, like you said, I was kind of expecting to see like a big, like eight man tag. Um, but it was just kind of like, you know, reminding fans of, you know, where we're at in all these feuds. Um, so I, I'm guessing it, it looks like FTR is going to have to work their way back up the ranks to uh, get a tag title shot, which I'm fine with. And it also feels like there's some unfinished business between uh, Brian Danielson and Ricky. So which I was I was kind of surprised by because it felt like that program was over with. But um, I wouldn't be surprised to see some other sort of match between the two. And maybe mm-hmm. like Ricky actually going over here. If anything, they're just trying to keep continuity. You know, he doesn't like anyone there. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I did like the visual of the security guards and everything like that. And the fact that like Ricky went behind like the guard uh-huh. and like made the tallest one kind of stoop down so he could see over him. Um, yeah, I thought that was a real nice touch. And of course, this was, you know, not only to build up you know, the main event, but also to continue the storyline between Christian and, you know, Adam Copeland. Um, I guess we'll just call him Adam, which just feels so weird. Uh, um, <laughs> it's even weird hearing the like crowd chant it, you know? Yes. Yes. Right. They were actually chanting Adam, which was just like, I don't know. It feels, it feels wrong <laughs> at this point. So, um, but yeah, no, it, as a segment, I thought it was fun. It was different. At least I don't want these every week though. You know, because then I feel like Collision's going to feel like WWE light. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely not, I feel like, you know, the flavor that they're going for with the show. Um, but otherwise, like, Collision was just a whole lot of enhancement matches, which felt like it was more about, like, establishing the main characters on the show than anything else. Um, we did get a really good match, I thought between um chris statlander and uh sky blue um sky's definitely continuing to grow as a performer in the ring um but it seems like she's got a little bit of the spookiness going now you know 
at the end of the match, uh, we actually saw Willow also come out. Um, she also seems to be underneath Julia's spell. Uh, and we found out later on this week that uh, we're going to get Willow versus Chris Statlander. Uh, Chris, I guess, you know, actually challenged Willow, which was kind of strange. But I mean, that seems to be the gimmick with Statlander right now. Yeah. She's just that fighting champion who's defending that belt pretty much every week. Um, and we're, I think this week actually collision, we're, we're getting collision and then we're getting battle of the belts right afterwards. Okay. So, um, we're going to have Chris Statlander put up her belts. We're having the trios titles being defended against, um, what used to be known as JAS. And then I, I guess orange is facing off against the winner of a three way match that's taking place on rampage, which I'm totally blanking on who's in that match right now. Christian, are you looking it up? Yeah, it's going to be Brother Zay, Kip Saban, and John Silver going against each other. Okay. And I guess that's all in the name of getting the uh, title shot. So Yeah. Yeah. Uh, doesn't feel like a must-watch. Um, <laughs> now, I will say, though, I wouldn't be surprised if Willow doesn't win the title from Chris. Here. Do you think it's—I I know. It's not going to happen. <laughs> I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if they don't pull off a surprise win for her. Um, they haven't done with her much, you know, lately. But, you know, I do feel like they have, you know, plans for her in the works. And what a great way to kind of kick off this new, like, character arc with her winning that belt, you know, here. And I feel like they need to do something to kind of, like, you know show that anything could happen in these like you know specials that they're doing the battle of the belt specials <laughs> so uh you know we know julia has been off uh getting married the last couple weeks so maybe she comes out and interferes and costs you know statlander the match and we actually see willow you know capture that title um because i just it feels at this point like you can't keep on having willow get these title shots and then like lose time after time so, I don't know. I would pull the trigger personally. You know, will it happen? Yeah, probably not. But I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I uh, honestly wouldn't be surprised. Though. I highly doubt it, but I mean, it'd be cool. Sure. Um, you know, I don't know. I just feel like they need something to really, like, spark interest in the storyline. I think Statlander is better in chasing after the belts than, like, defending it week after week. And maybe, like, part of the reason I feel that way is because... We already have like a fighting champion in orange. So it feels like, I don't know, redundant almost. Um, you know, like like she's had some great matches, but like storyline wise, they really haven't done anything with her. So, I mean, I don't know. Like I, I feel like she's kind of like losing the backing of the fans where I, I think people will start investing her a little more. If she once again is, you know, fighting this uphill battle against this like coven of witches. So, um, I don't know. And I, I, it feels weird to have Willow in this. <laughs> and it definitely feels like they're going against the grain since she's like, I don't know, the, the happiest, most go lucky baby face they have. And uh -oh. one of their most over baby faces, you know, in the women's division. Um, so this is definitely a strange choice. Um, but I'm willing to see how it all plays out and, you know, maybe Willow will kill it as this evil heel. Um, 
we'll have to wait and see. Because I feel like there's potential to make Willow like this monster character, which could be fun. You know, where she's just dominating people with her sheer, like, physicality. Mm -hmm. Like, I have no problem if they wanted to make, like, just a women's, like, division of um, the House of Black. Like, I have Mm -hmm. no problem with that being a trail. I I think that's what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But at that um, point, I would probably want Julia to win the title over uh, Willow. You know, just so the the leader. leader. I don't know, man. I just, I don't know, I'm sick of them not doing anything with Willow. Like, it felt like they were on their way to actually pushing her, especially after she won that New Japan title against mm-hmm. Mercedes. I know she wasn't supposed to win the belt, but it felt like a good jumping off point because she was just kind of, like, teetering on the edge of, like, getting a big push, yeah. and then they would kind of, like, pull back. But then, like, they actually had her win the Owen Cup. And, like, ever since then, they've done nothing with her. So... You know, this character change just feels like a good, like, refresher for her. Um, You know, and the fact that they're doing this title match, I don't know. I don't know. It it just, it just feels like this could be an upset to me. So, like I said, I could just be crazy and, you know, seeing what I want to see. But, I don't know. Here's to hoping. Otherwise, I mean, no big surprise. uh, With Collision, I mean, the main event was the biggest highlight of the show. Mm. Um, you know, Brian Danielson and Christian went out there and killed it. Um, you know, the end just saw a complete melee, of course. Um, you know, it was a wonky finish, you know, the kind of finish that I would expect on the other channel. But, but since like AEW doesn't like typically do finishes, you know, like this, um, I was fine with it as long as it doesn't become a habit. And I think at the end of the day, it really, like, furthered everyone's storyline. Like, in that moment, I would have hated for Christian to have lost the title, because I just feel like there's so much more he can still do with his, you know, current storyline. Yeah, and he's, like, the hottest heel that they have right now, right? But I have to imagine, you know, this has to set up some type of, you know, tag match or something, you know, in the future for them. I wouldn't be surprised if, I mean, we're recording this on Thursday, if we don't find out on Rampage that we are going to get that A-man tag you know, that it felt like the opening segment set up. So, um, but I guess we'll wait and find out. Um, I do want to say, though, like, I know Brian probably doesn't want to win gold at all. Oh, yeah. You know, in his final run. But I feel like you need to stop featuring him in title matches then because yeah. it, it's becoming very <laughs> apparent to everyone that he's just not going to win any of these belts that he's going up for. <laughs> because once again, it just doesn't feel like you know that's what this run is about for him which whatever like i'd love to see him have like a you know a tnt title run um you know where he's like defending the belt every week but it is what it is you know what'd be a great match i don't think we've seen it yet it's uh orange versus brian i'm not yeah i'm not sure if we've seen that yet i mean he could run with the international title yeah for sure exactly he he could and he could do once again that is the fighting man's title Mm -hmm. so you know i mean I don't know. I don't know if he want like it might be a case of him not wanting to put his body through that, especially since he's been injured, mm-hmm. you know, quite a bit l- lately. Um, and with this, you know, supposedly his, you know, last year wrestling full time. So I'm sure he's going to want to preserve his health, you know, so he can, you know, make it through this, you know, final run, you know, actually intact. 
But anyway, moving on to Dynamite. Uh, the opening match saw Jay White versus Penta. Uh, I thought this was a banger of a match. Uh, we had a lot of great moves from Penta. Shit that I, I, I've never seen him actually do before. And we had a huge chop battle in the middle of the match, which I thought was pretty fucking impressive. We even saw like Penta pull down the singlet, um, which, I mean, he's gotten ripped. Like, <laughs> I... I I don't remember Penta being that fucking like shredded, but apparently he's gotten in much better shape over the last year or so. So, um, but yeah, they went back and forth. Now, my one critique of the match is I wish Jay would have gone over Penta cleanly. And I get it. Like they're trying to set up Bullet Club as a threat. The fact that, you know, Jay's got this faction back backing him and that, you know, he can win no matter what. It's a numbers game and everything. Um, but at the same time, I wish AEW would invest more in establishing Jay as a talent who doesn't necessarily need the faction. It's more of just kind of a convenience for him. Um, you know, and I think getting a, a solid, clean win over Penta would have done that. Because right now, like, it, I don't know, to me, he doesn't feel like a true threat to MJF. Um, and maybe that's more about, like, you know, all the other like happenings on this show, you know, which seems to kind of be setting up programs for later on down the line mm-hmm. after the program with Jay White, you know, for MJF. Um, but I, I don't know, like, like, how do you feel about Jay White's run so far in AEW? Cause I know he's had some great matches and everything like that. And I, I get it. Like it's, you know, the outside interference is all part of, you know, being part of Bullet Club and everything like that. That's part of being part of a heel faction, right? That comes with being part of a heel faction. But at the same time, like, this is like a former, you know, New Japan world champion. Mm. So I'd like to see him get like more convincing wins on his own at the same time. Because it feels like this program should be major and it just doesn't have that like big fight feel i feel like jy has had a fantastic run on collision i don't know about on dynamite per se like i I feel like he's had a couple good matches here and there there but even on collision like i feel like it's all been in like tag matches you know like he had the great feud with ftr Mm -hmm. you know but they they didn't win that feud and that was a tag situation so, um, and he's had, don't get me wrong, like, he's had great matches, but Penta would have been one of the bigger names. Like, he, he got the win against Hangman last week, but once again, that was due to outside interference, in a way. So, I don't know. It's just me. It's just a, it's a small little gripe. <laughs> <laughs> like I said, I mean, this also might be a, a case of, you know, the fact that they introduced so many other, like, contenders for mjf's title you know this week that it kind of diluted this program for me in a way i mean it definitely doesn't help but do you feel like you know a more casual AEW fan it just doesn't it's not believable with jay white in a way like i feel Mm. like he needed just to have a string of big wins before getting to mjf and he's undefeated in single matches and everything like that. But I just don't know if his wins are necessarily big enough. Um, and like, once again, they're all like littered with outside interference. And I also don't feel like they're really like harping on the fact that this guy is a former world champion. Who's, you know, being Kenny Omega in New Japan. You yes, know, they, there's yes. plenty of things that they could you know call back to. 
he's being Okada. I mean, he's he brings it up himself, but I don't feel like the announce team and you know production is doing enough to show the big they names. They should put that over. Yeah, time. and maybe it's a New Japan thing. Maybe that's in part out of respect to New Japan. Mm-hmm. You know, since I don't know exactly how the relationship between between Jay White and New Japan ended, um, so maybe there's hard feelings there. Um, I, I but have to imagine it's good enough because you know they're using the Bullet Club name and in spirit and music themes and all that you know no that's true that's true but he did like lose a loser leaves new japan you know match where he's Uh, not supposed to actually be wrestling anyone from new japan right now (laughs) so which makes it kind of hard with forbidden door and everything mm. um but yeah i don't know like i said that's just speculation you know because i'm sure new japan wanted to resign him but obviously you know he had other plans but speaking of the world title scene i think Probably my biggest highlight of Dynamite was the fact that we had so many contenders coming out of the woodwork targeting MJF, uh, which we haven't really seen, you know, during his title run. We had Wardlow destroying Ryan Nemeth and then basically calling out MJF in his own way by showing his wrist tape that's had MJF on it, like, Ever since he's returned, but now they're finally like calling attention to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it felt like Wardlow was definitely turning heel. Like he gave the big shoulder to Tony Schiavone, knocking him down. Um, so, I mean, that's a huge threat, you know, to the to MGF. And I felt like a good storyline for them to tap into, you know, knowing those two's, uh, you know, history together. Uh, we also know that Samoa Joe has been, you know, cutting some amazing promos um, you know, talking about how he's going to work his way back to MJF. And then Kenny in a promo um, where he's talking about, you know, his issues with, you know, Don Callis and his family brings up, you know, going after the world title after all is said and done, uh, which actually saw MJF confronting him, uh, you know, talking about, you know, how much he respects him. But then he whispers 13 days, bitch. <laughs> here <laughs> which i'm glad like it was something that they did on bte mm. um but i'm glad that they, they kind of explained it here 13 days is actually the number of days that mjf has to continue to hold the world title to break kenny's record as the longest reigning AEW world champion now i gotta say with all these wrestlers all of a sudden gunning for mjf and this might just be me enduring a lifetime of watching wwe but it, it it really felt like we might be getting some kind of like four way match at some point. Um, but like I said, that's not typically how AEW does things, um, even though we just had a four pillar match, um, you know, it just because it felt like there's too many storylines happening all at once. Mm-hmm. And we know that, you know, Tony, typically with this world title, likes to tell long form stories. Um, and that might also been due to, like, you know, the pay-per-view schedule, of, you know, having only four pay-per-views a year. Now, with all that being said, and even though I felt like it made things feel fresh and new... It was just something different, and it made the world title feel super important. At the same time, though, like I mentioned before, it kind of made Jay White feel like an afterthought. Like the fact that they were kind of setting up all these different angles, you know, that are going to involve MJF later on down the line, obviously, 
after he beats Jay White. Now, that might not be the case, and it might throw a wrench into those plans, and you might see Jay White maybe walk away with the title, and maybe that's part of what they're doing. But I don't know, man. <laughs> no. And maybe they set up some of these matches to take place before Jay White gets his title shot, but that also doesn't really logistically make sense. Because um, I could see the fact that they're bringing up 13 days before MJF breaks Kenny's record. You know, I could see something where all of a sudden, like, MJF is forced to defend his title. Um, and, you know, maybe you're kind of like on the edge of your seat thinking, oh, maybe he is going to drop it before, you know, Kenny loses his record. Um, and maybe they're bringing up the whole 13 days thing in the fact that, you know, MJF is about to break Kenny's record for a reason because there definitely feels like there's purpose behind that. Like maybe all of a sudden MJF is going to have to defend the title before, you know, that record is broken. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. It just feels weird to me, right? I mean, there's about three to four weeks until full gear. So, I mean, if they they could put in two title matches, maybe, if they really wanted to stack it in. But I, I do want more of the focus to go back to, you know, his journey with Jay White right now rather than, you know. And how do you make that happen organically? You yeah. know, where it makes sense. Why wouldn't Jay White be getting the first crack at, you know, MJF since he's the one who rightfully deserves it, right? Exactly. Um, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how they get there. But it just feels like there's a reason behind the whole 13 days thing. Um, like, are they going to do some kind of celebration? Maybe, maybe they do some kind of segment like that celebrating. I, I can <laughs> see that. It's MJF. So, you know, it's like, yeah. I have the most days in AEW as champion. It's... That feels like his MO, even though he's uh, babyface right now. Exactly. Um, we also got another segment with, you know, Roderick Strong and Adam Cole, which... I'm just over these. I said this last week, uh -huh. but this one was actually worse. Um, but we saw Adam finally getting fed up with Roderick and leaving his house after multiple weeks <laughs> to finally go and get his surgery. Uh, and Roderick, you know, tells, you know, his crew that, you know, he knows how to win Adam back. And that's by being nice to MJF. So uh, we'll see how that all comes to play. And I'm guessing this is all kind of, the product of Cole getting hurt. But like, what the fuck happened to the whole masked man storyline, the masked faction storyline, jumping Jay White at the end of dynamite, like three weeks ago, they haven't even brought that up in like weeks at this point. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of hoping that it, it at least shows up randomly, like MJF's in the ring. And then someone with the mask comes out and maybe they jump MJF and it's kind of like just been a ploy. I hope that it comes up back up. I hope it's not gone. I hope AEW wouldn't do some shit like that. <laughs> that feels like something Vince would do, oh, right? Absolutely. <laughs> like, you know, Korea, like 2018 or something like that. Um, yeah. I mean, maybe it's like, okay, well, we need to have them show up here and there, but we've got a lot of time on our hands before Adam Cole is healthy again. And I'm mm -hmm. sure he plays a big part in that storyline. So, we need to have them just pop up when it's most convenient, when it makes sense. But at the same time, you know, we can't have it being the main focus of everything MJF does because, you know, we've got a good like nine to 12 months until cold is back, most likely. So um, we got to do enough to keep fans interested in the storyline. But at the same time, we've also have to, you know, focus on other, you know, contenders for that title. Uh I don't know. It just does feel weird, 
Like, you know, at least give me a brief mention of it. Mm -hmm. It would be Um, interesting if they did a thing where it's like every person that challenges MJF for the title, they just randomly attack, you know? Yeah, they get laid out, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, I could see that. That'd be fun. You know, and part of this is definitely because of, you know, AEW's issues with follow-up. Because, I mean, we've seen that a lot of times with their storylines and, you know, a lot of wrestlers pushes where, yeah, they get a big win here or there, but then there's no follow up, mm-hmm. you know, and then all of a sudden, you know, we see them in the ring again after like a month or two and we're supposed to like be still invested in everything that's, you know, been going on with them, even though they've completely lost momentum because they haven't been on screen for weeks. So, um you know, we've seen that with lots of storylines. I mean, shit, the Julia Hart storyline, you know, she was misted like six months before she actually made the full fucking turn. Yes, beforehand. Oh, my God. Yeah, that took forever. Yes, before she joined House of Black. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally, it was like, okay, what the fuck's going on? But apparently, they've come up with like a more potent spray because now it, it seemingly only takes a couple weeks. Uh-huh. You know? <laughs> so, whatever. Um, but anyway, highlight wise, what else sticks out to you with this episode, Christian? Well, I mean, if I could talk about the main event, I, I was just excited that Juice Robinson actually won. Uh, I had a feeling like they would possibly swerve it at the end, have MJF or someone screw over Robinson. I, I had no question he was going to win. They focused too much on Juice. It's just like they keep bringing it up. So it's like one of those things where it's like, is it a point where it's just like they are not going to do it just to... But they didn't spend any time with anyone else, like any of the other True. wrestlers like in the, the match. The second person was what, Max Caster, and that was only recently where they just kind of threw that in. Yeah, I don't think it was like till the day of that like he announced that he was going to be in the match. So I think Goldust you know, got one promo and that yes. was pretty much it on collision. <laughs> so like right then and there, and I wish they would do a better job with this. It, it was pretty much telegraphed, like who was going to win. I'm glad that they like dropped everything with the roll of quarters. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think they, you know, heard the backlash and actually took it seriously and decided to go ahead and pivot, which I think was best for everyone. Um, you know, now he's got his ring from TJ Maxx that yes. he's knocking people out with. Never thought um, I'd hear a TJ Maxx chant yes. in wrestling. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I love the Max too. I get it. But yeah, no, um, I just, I don't give a shit about this fucking ring. It's so either. weird to well, me. I want Juice to win. I want Juice to win the ring so we can possibly just get but it off of him. But what does that do for general? MJF? That's not going to happen. You're not going to have your champion lose before a fucking big title match. It, it creates that, uncertainty. That would be ridiculous booking. It's, it's a, That's it's booking a malpractice. Finish. That's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> no, because that juice should be the number one contender. Like they would get they, a number uh, one contendership afterward. No, no, that's horrible. Like we're fighting over jewelry here. <laughs> like a fucking ring. We've got. We've got 20 fucking titles uh, in this company, and they're fighting over a fucking ring. It makes no sense. Yeah, it makes no sense that, like, we've said this in the past. Like, why isn't the title on the line with this opportunity as yes. well? Yes. Because well, did Starks get a title shot after losing to MJF last year? No, I don't know if you remember, we, because we made fun of this as well. He was like, I'm going to beat you for that ring, and then I'm going to go and beat you for that title. Because, like, he was on, like, a whole... It wasn't like he would get a title match. He already had, like... 
an opportunity. We, yeah, we were assuming that the title was also uh-huh. on the line at first, and then that wasn't the case. And it no, was like, he had well, two that separate no matches. Yes, <laughs> it was very dumb. I just I don't feel like anyone cares about this ring besides no. MJF and Tony Khan, and that's it. I mean, on a weekly basis, we have two companies worth of titles being defended. Why the hell do we also need a ring, you know, that's on the line once a year? That means nothing because they don't even mention it until MJF pulls it out of his trunks in the middle of a big match. Uh. <laughs> it's not like something he defends throughout the year. So it, it just, I don't know. It's just Who would a, a even want that gimmick. ring at this point? It's been in his trunks for five years, <laughs> you know? I'm sure he takes it out after the match, but yeah, you sure? you're right. <laughs> I'm sure. I would hope so, at least. Um, I think the only, like, seed of doubt was planted by Max Caster, though, for me in this. Like, I was like, okay, well, maybe I could see the whole Max storyline with the acclaimed playing out. Um, but he was going to put a ring on it. Yeah, that, <laughs> it's still bizarre to me. I don't even understand what the hell's going on there. Like, that's kind of creepy. Right. He's basically like sexually harassing MJF. Like <laughs> they've explained it, it enough to being it's his fine. friend. I guess. Uh. I don't know. It's just weird. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I guess we're going to eventually see them tag up and everything like that. And, you know, or I'm sure MJF will be getting beat down and then, you know, we'll see the claim make the save and then he'll decide to team up with them. Um, You know, and, ma- and maybe and maybe that's when we see the masked men return and maybe they jump the acclaimed Mm -hmm. you know that'll be another little you know wrinkle in the story um but who the fuck knows i I have no idea where any of this is going and that's all fine and good it's wrestling so it should be fun and it's not bad that it's unpredictable but definitely feels a little messy right now if you will well i like the the max and max connection (laughs) you know i I feel like that would be a great tag team Uh, we already had an m&m Come on. Part two. Fine. <laughs> also, during this episode, we got the sit down interview with JR and uh, Nick Wayne and his mom. This was pretty fucking hokey, uh, but I think it served its purpose, uh, you know, which was basically just getting more heat on Christian. Christian, of course, interrupted the interview, you know, basically saying that, you know, he's Nick's father now. Um, told mom that she should have taken his calls. Um, you know, uh, Nick's mom slapped him across the face. Nick, Nick's mom slapped Nick across the face. Um, you know, and then Nick, I think, said she's dead to him. I don't yes. know. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, it felt like a bad soap opera, but it served its purpose. Um, afterwards, Darby Allen jumps Christian and uh, Nick backstage. Um, I guess uh, Nick actually broke his tooth on the concrete during this. Um, but I got to give him credit because they actually used it as part of, you know, you know, the whole segment and, you know, really, you know, focused on it because it looked pretty fucking gnarly. All this like spilled onto the ramp. Um, Luchasaurus got involved uh, and this actually brought out Sting. And they basically you know, chase Christian and crew away. But speaking of Sting, uh, Sting actually had a big announcement on the show. Uh, He announced his retirement, uh, which is going to take place in 2024 during the Revolution pay-per-view. It's going to be his last match. Uh, We don't know who he will be facing, 
Um, I don't know if it's going to be his first singles match in AEW. Like, I feel like it'd be weird for him to retire in a tag match. Mm-hmm. But maybe, you know, right now that that feels like all that he's capable of physically. Um, you know, I, I'm just assuming that since we've never seen him have a singles match in AEW. Um, but I don't know, for me, I'd actually like to see him go out in a singles match. You know, it doesn't have to be long. Um, but you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have to wait and see exactly, you know, what they decide and whose opponent will be. I would have to assume Darby, right? Like, I feel that way too, but Darby has come out and said that he'll never wrestle Sting. Not even in like a, like uh, a mutual respect kind of way. Yeah. Yeah, like an HBK like flair type deal. Exact that's exactly what I was trying to think of. Um it feels like that should be like the natural progression of the story, mm-hmm. right? But I don't know. I don't know. We'll have I to love Wednesday. you, and then he hits him with the fucking, you know, <laughs> skateboard uh, with skateboard. Tax. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I don't believe you. Fuck you. <laughs> I mean, it's been a hell of a run for Sting. Mm-hmm. I mean, AEW alone, Jesus Christ. Like, you know, we thought he'd be here, you know, basically, you know, shaking hands and kissing babies. And we might get a couple, like, cinematic matches. But, like, this dude has been putting in the work, you know, jumping off fucking balconies, going through tables. I mean, it's not a weekly basis, but for a dude who's, like, 65 years yeah. old. God damn. I mean, my hat's off to him. So, um, yeah, I mean, he's definitely, you know, put a spotlight on, you know, the promotion. And I think AEW is better for it in the long run. So it's he's been here for, what, three years? Right. But, yeah, I mean, Sting is definitely an icon and a legend and he will be sorely missed. Um, I'm hoping that, you know, Tony pulls out all stops and, you know, puts on a huge show around him. So I think they could probably book a pretty big venue you know, for this show with it being his retirement and everything like that. Um, and I would expect that they would get some great like guest appearances and everything mm-hmm. like that from Sting's past, you know, everyone who's not, you know, currently under contract at the other companies. So, but yeah, I'm definitely curious to see who his opponent will end up being. So, I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it will be like a tag match and, you know, that's what Sting's comfortable with. Cause I mean, it's his, it's, it's all up to him, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he should be able to go out the way he wants to go out. But yeah, I mean, like I said up top, it, it was a pretty eventful week overall for AEW. And hopefully they're able to continue the momentum going into full gear. Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five-star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by TheAmazingNerdShow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some Nerd Show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional Nerd Show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture. And whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show.
How many did you call? All of us. Oh, oh, oh. 